Amen. So Numbers, the 12th chapter, uh, verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8. Numbers, the 12th chapter. When you have it, say amen. While they were at Hazareth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Ooh. Wow. That's a sobering thought, right? <laughs> Sometimes you don't have to get on folks. Just let the Lord hear them. <laughs> I heard what you said about me. And God heard it too. But the Lord heard them. Now, Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Verse 5. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of a cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Miriam and Aaron, he, uh, Aaron and Miriam he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. But not so with my servant Moses. Wow. In all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him, say this, face to face. Woo. Clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you afraid to criticize my servant Moses? I want to say this to you, and I'm going to kind of go into this text, but I'm going to dig a little deeply, uh, deeper today because the Lord has put something in my heart. Um, but the title of my sermon today is Humility Before Intimacy. Humility Before Intimacy. You may say, how are you getting this from this passage, Pastor? Well, just hang, hang tight. Now, if you know the rest of the story, it goes like this. Um, and just in case you don't, I'm just going to explain to you real quick. Miriam, after the Lord appeared to them in the cloud, he said, you know, come forth, Miriam and Aaron. And I don't know why uh, Miriam had to, to, to deal with the, the, the rough consequence and, and somehow Aaron got by. But maybe, I don't know, maybe we just kind of said that Miriam was probably, you know, doing her neck like this or, or something. And she got, the, <laughs> she got the worst of it. But what ends up happening is Miriam was stricken with leprosy. And the cloud that represented God's manifest presence was taken up. And instead of them moving forward into the promised land that Israel was supposed to go into, the land of Canaan, um, they had to wait seven days. While God made an example of Miriam in her sickness. And so, you know, he made an example of Miriam criticizing the leadership that was in place. Amen? So this was a very serious offense. I don't want to, you know, I want to I go in and teach what's obviously here before I go a little deeper. Um, and now, I should go on record and tell you that it's very important not to look at the obvious flaws of your leaders to the point to where it causes you to rebel against God. And some leaders have obvious flaws. 
Amen? Um, some not so obvious. Those are the ones that are scary. <laughs> but when God makes a choice in a leader, he doesn't make a mistake. Amen? And rebellion, if you're not careful, will cause chaos. For instance, uh, God has given all of us parents and God has decided that we would be their child. And even though our parents were not perfect, amen, amen, the child should respect the parents. And it's God's decision that the child must obey. And if they don't obey, don't obey there will be disorder, there will be chaos, there will not be a state of peacefulness in the home because the child is not doing what God has commanded the child to do. Amen? Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Amen? Ephesians, I believe, the sixth chapter. Okay. So we can see here clearly that Miriam and Aaron did not want to obey Moses, and they questioned his leadership. Why? Well, it says here, because he married a Cushite woman. Now, if you don't know what that means, Moses went out and got himself a sister. He got a black girl. Okay? <laughs> My daughter thinks that's funny. Okay? She was beautiful, I'm sure, but she was a black girl. And Moses brought, you know, his woman, and uh, Miriam and Aaron had a problem with it. Now, I want to do this, just can I want to just set this up before we get deep into this? I keep saying that, but I just want to make sure you don't lose track of what I'm getting ready to do. All right, here we go. So let's have everybody do a little exercise. I want you to close your eyes and let's have the whole entire church pretend like you're white. <laughs> all right, now open your eyes. Hello, all right. Okay. So let's say that you graduated from high school, but your dad and your mom couldn't afford to send you to college. But when it was time for your baby brother Moses to go, Moses, you know, somehow it gets the benefit because daddy or mommy, they get a great job and all of a sudden they can take Moses and send him to college when you couldn't go. Okay? You, all, you could, all they could afford to do with you is send you to, you know, Job Corps or something. I don't know. Okay, so Moses gets the benefit, daddy gets it, or mommy gets an amazing job, and Moses is allowed to go to college, and he goes to campus, and there he meets this woman and brings her home for Thanksgiving dinner. Now, don't forget, we're white. Okay, so when this woman arrives with your baby brother Moses, fresh from college, she's sitting down at the dinner table, and she's got on a black Vintage Black Panther jacket, Black Lives Matter t-shirt, she's got an afro pick in her head, she's got a picture or tattoo picture of Rodney King on her neck, and she's looking at you and you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe that baby Moses brought this black woman home. And she's radical. And she's sitting down at our table. She's about to be in your family. Now, some of you are struggling. So let's reverse it. Close your eyes. Presto, you're black again. All right. 
Let's, trip it. Let's just reverse it. Your baby brother Moses goes to Harvard. We're black now. He brings back some white Republican woman. She's a diehard Trump supporter. She's sitting at the dinner table with a red Make America Great hat on her. <laughs> and you're looking at her and you're saying to yourself, listen, Moses is the one who got the benefits. He's got the education. The family business is going to go to him. And here he is bringing in this Trump supporter. And she's sitting down at our table eating our fried chicken like she knows what it is. Now, yeah, see, now you understand. <laughs> uh-huh. So how, in Mar- how is Miriam and Aaron feeling about their baby brother Moses and his leadership over the Israelite nation when he's married to this foreigner that they don't prefer. Now, I will say this. I did that just to kind of get your attention. I got everybody's attention now, don't I? Yeah. yeah, that's good. I did it to get your attention because most people would see this passage that I read, Numbers 12, 1 through 8, and they would go to the obvious things that are right on the surface. And we could make this passage about following flawed leaders, or if you're a leader, you could maybe preach a sermon about leading while you have haters and how haters are sometimes racist or what everybody does right now is, you know, generally, you know, your enemies will be the closest ones to you. And don't be surprised if your enemies and your haters are in your own family. And, and then we, you know, get excited because, you know, we try to figure out how God is going to bless us anyway. And we say, even though you got haters in your family, God's going to bless you anyway. And we all get excited. We run around the church and we shout because God's going to give you victory over the haters in your family. And end of the sermon. That's what we would normally do. But all those topics have this in common. They demonize the others around you. And yet they seem to infer that you are so wonderful and not in need of any correction. So we're not going to talk about what's right on the surface tonight. It's there. But there's something that I hope you didn't miss in looking at this passage. Since we want to be the ones that get delivered today, right? Amen. Did you notice verse 3? In all of that, did you notice verse 3? Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on the earth. Did you notice that? After we got mad because the haters don't want to have you as a wife because you're a black woman, did we see... (laughs) that Moses was the most humble person on the earth. So it seems that God is not punishing Aaron and Miriam, Miriam specifically, because of their prejudice. But it rather seems to me that God is defending Moses because of his character. Ah, you see it? So here's a question that we should ask ourselves this morning. When God sees me, Does he see a humble person? 
do I believe that God looks at me as a humble person? Hmm. Psalm 149 and 4 says this. For the, the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the who? Humble with victory. You see it? He crowns the humble. James 3 and 13. Just write this down. James 3 and 13 says this. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. It seems like God puts a lot of stock, a lot of importance on humility. Amen? Being humble. Now, before we step out of grace and understand that, you know, or try to drum up some humility on our own, we need to understand this, that even though Moses was said to be the most humble person on the earth, especially at that time, let's not think that Moses just appeared on the planet that way. Okay? He didn't come here automatically humble. I don't, I don't believe that because he was sinful. Just like everybody, okay? I don't believe that Moses was born with some divine ability to be humble, where humility was an automatic. No. Let's look at Moses' story real quick before we get into this. Moses was born in his home. Then he got shoved into a basket, <laughs> thrown into the Nile River. He caught a little bit of a break when Pharaoh's daughter found him and brought him into the palace, only to be years later kicked out of Egypt, running from a murder charge. Huh? He barely escapes Egypt, makes it to the land of Midian, where he gets a chance to start his life all over. He gets a job. He gets married, right? And just when things are looking good, God shows up in a burning bush and tells him to go back to the people he was running from and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then God adds this, by the way, he's not going to listen to you. So Moses at that point gets a brand new job. He is a leader of a million plus extremely rebellious people. <laughs> and then Pharaoh ends up chasing Moses and all these other people to the shores of the Red Sea where God has to do a miracle to save everybody's necks from being killed. What I'm trying to say to you is Moses didn't show up to the planet humble. Moses went through a few things first. Are you hearing me? So I'm not trying to tell you to try harder to drum up some humility on your own. What I'm saying is this is the work of God in the life of Moses. What I'm saying to you is your trouble that you're dealing with right now has a purpose. I don't know what it is. But it's so that God can develop the character trait of humility in every last one of us because it's so important, which will change you and prepare you to handle the assignment that he has purposed for your life. There are people who are never going to be blessed until God takes you through what you must go through in order for you to be a blessing to them. Are you hearing me? So while you're complaining about, I don't understand what you're doing, God, trust me, the Lord is working on you. And he's bringing in a character trait of humility that is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. Turn to your neighbor, because there won't be too many times I tell you to do this. 
because this is not my style. But tell your neighbor, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. Amen? It's just not. Some of the things that we're dealing with right now, it's God's divine grace on your life. While we're complaining and upset and asking questions, God is maneuvering you and preparing the people to hear you. (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on now. I know some of us are going through, but get, it, get a revelation, get a perspective on this. Because when you start to understand this, then you get to a place where you can actually thank God. You can say, God, okay, I didn't understand it then. And I'm in the middle of it now. But I know you're up to something. Because I ain't right. And everybody around me, ain't, we ain't right. And you're going to use this some kind of way. This trouble is not for nothing. You hear me? Amen? All right, so three points about humility, because this is what God must develop in all of us. And then we're going to get to the intimacy part. The humble have the right opinion about themselves. People that are humble, they have the right opinion about themselves. I'm going to use two ladies and see if you can kind of extract what I'm trying to say here. 1 Samuel 2 and 2. This is Hannah. She says, no one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. What this is referring to is Hannah was barren and she cried out to the Lord to have a child and she knew that this was not going to happen without the Lord's divine intervention. People who are humble in a biblical way, they look at themselves, they look at what God can do, they look at what God, what they cannot do without God, and they compare themselves to God in a way to where they come out with the right perspective about themselves. Are you hearing me? God used her need to put her, to a pla- put her in a place of humility. Are you hearing me? Who is like our God? Who can help us but our God? Who else but God is our sure foundation? Who else but God is our rock? There is nobody like the Lord, is what she's saying. She's saying here, there's nobody who can help me in this situation but God. I need a miracle. That lets me know that I need God. Are you hearing me? She's been humbled. So that's one example. Now let's try a different example of another lady. Luke 1, 48 through 49. Luke 1, 48 and 49. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. Who are we talking about here? Who's speaking? Do you know? This is Mary. Amen? This is Mary. Okay? She's the lowly servant girl. For the mighty one is holy, verse 49 says. Holy means set apart from everything and everyone else, totally opposite and totally uncommon. Okay? This is who she's describing or how she's describing God. The mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. Jesus comes through the Virgin Mary. This is Mary, the mother of Christ, the one chosen to bring forth the Savior of the world. She's about to give birth to God. 
and she recognizes that she's nothing. Now, everybody else has tried to make her much bigger. <laughs> but Mary is saying here, I'm nothing. She recognizes her blessings come from the Lord. She has a right opinion of herself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we have here, in contrast, an extremely needy woman. And then on the other side of it, we have one of the most revered women in the world. Are you hearing me? And both of them have come to the same conclusion about themselves. We're nothing without God. Are you seeing it? The humble people have a right opinion of themselves. We are nothing without God, and God is the one that we need. And the only attitude to have when you are a created being is an attitude of humility. Amen? Point number two. Ah, hold on. Yeah, let me go back. Psalm 99 and 20, uh, 2 and 3. Psalm 99, 2 and 3. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. There it is again. Set apart from everything and everyone else and totally opposite of anything that is common. Do you recognize, saints, that the angels... Do not have a better word to describe our God other than holy, holy, holy. The angels who are supreme beings look at God and they even have a right understanding of themselves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when you understand that God is holy and totally other than, not common, amen, he's holy, set apart. When you understand that, that humbles you and that gives you a right opinion of yourself. Now, point number two, a person that recognizes their need for God. A humble person is a person that recognizes their need for God, okay? Five, uh, give me Matthew 5 and 3. Matthew 5 and 3. Jesus said it this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is an upside down principle. The people that are actually poor in spirit are actually the ones who are very, very rich. It's opposite. Okay? The people that are poor in spirit are actually the ones who are very, very rich. The people that realize, and I've said it before, that we are spiritually bankrupt, we are the ones that recognize that we have nothing to offer God but our obedience to God. And believe it or not, in that humble position, God says that we're the ones, we are the ones that have the kingdom of heaven coming to us. We are the rich ones. So while we're sitting over here looking at all these stars and all the people that got money and all these people that seem to have had these lucky breaks, the ones who are really rich in the kingdom of God are the ones who recognize their need for God. Amen? We're the one that's really clocking it. Are you hearing me? First Peter 5, 6, and 7. 
1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. The word of God says, humble yourselves therefore by the, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. This shows us that we have needs, not just when it comes to salvation, but also when it comes to living our regular lives. The cares of this world are not supposed to be handled by us. We are supposed to cast all our cares upon him. And by doing that, we recognize that we need God. Are you hearing me? So the, we humble ourselves before his mighty hand, and we trust that he's going to bring us out or exalt us at the right time or in due time. And in the meantime, we are casting our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. He, we are basically saying, Lord, I'm not going to make it without you. I recognize my need for you. You're the only one I can depend on. I'm not supposed to carry this huge load. I'm supposed to cast it on you and give it to you. The humble recognize and understand that they have a need for God. Are you hearing me? Now, to my last point. Almost done. And this last point I need to set up again. Take me back to Numbers 12 and 3. Now, Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. More humble than any other person on earth. Passage, you could make it about Miriam and Aaron and their issues with Moses' choices. But if we miss verse 3, then we miss the message to us. And that is, we must be humble. If you skip down to verse 5, you will see what the Lord said again about Moses. And you got to connect it to verse 3. Amen? The Lord descended, verse 5, in the pillar of a cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. Verse 6, and the Lord said to them, hear me, saints. Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. Verse 7 says, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him Face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. And then he says this. God says this about Moses. Moses, he sees the Lord as he is. Some translations say that Moses saw the form of the Lord. Now, this is different than the cloud and the pillar. Are you hearing me? Everybody else in the camp was able to see the cloud. Everybody else was able to see the pillar of fire. But this says Moses saw the Lord as he is. What did he see? Are you thinking about it? Huh? He says that Moses, everybody got a certain revelation of what God was or where God was or, or how God is. But Moses evidently has another level of revelation of who God is. Something 
he saw was on a completely different level than what everybody else could see. Why? Moses was humble. Moses had humility. And because of his humility, that brought him into another revelation, another understanding of our God. He saw something completely different. Are you hearing me? He was intimate with God. He was close to God. His understanding was on a different level. So my third point is this. The reward for humility is intimacy with our God. Are you seeing it? The reward for humility is intimacy with our God. The problem is, saints, we have no intimacy because we lack humility. Are you hearing me, Pastor Rick, back there? Moses was humble. Moses met with God face to face. Here's a question for you, and I just want you to think about it. When it comes to our humility problem, why would someone who claims to be God Almighty get close to someone who acts like they don't need God? Mm -hmm. If you figure it out all by yourself, why does God need to tell you anything? The problem is this, simple, simply this, Saints, and I'll say it again. The problem is because we lack humility. And without humility, there can be no intimacy. You won't go to God because you don't think you need him that much. Oh. Why is it that we nowadays rush our time with God? Hmm? Why do we fit God into the slots in our schedules? What kind of relationship can you expect to have, expect to have even on a human level with someone that you never get a chance to know? Mm. How do you get to know anybody without prioritizing time with them? You don't. It's as simple as that. Without making God a priority, you'll never know him. Without humbling yourself and recognizing that you need him, you'll never go to him. And if you never go to him, you'll never have any intimacy with him. Are you making, am I making some sense to you? Ooh, it's quiet in here. When the word of God said this, watch this, saints. I learned this this week. This messed me up. When the word of God said this, Adam knew his wife. You remember that? That wasn't just about sex, people. When it talks about that, when Adam knew, knew his wife, he's talking about real intimacy. Mm. One of my leaders recently exposed this to me. He said, marriage is not about sex. Marriage is not about having kids before your biological clock breaks down on you. Marriage is not about getting property. Marriage is not about saving money on your taxes because you filed jointly. Marriage is not about, you know, having this social status that seems to say now I'm successful because I've got it all. I got the job, I got the money, you know, I got the property, we got the car, and now I'm going to sprinkle some person on top of it. It's not about that. Marriage is about true intimacy. Knowing somebody and being known by somebody. This 
watch this, saints, is what God wants from us. This is what we need from our God. Oh, yes, we do. Listen, saints, Jesus desires that his bride, which is the church, would make time to be intimate with him. But to do that, we have to be humble. Oh. The church needs to stop running around town, putting everything and everyone before our real husband. I'm going to say that again. The church needs to stop running around town, putting everything and everyone before our real husband. What did you get married to Jesus for if you never planned to spend any time with him? Oh, I love you. Worship you. See you next week. <laughs> How is it that the bride of Christ is too busy for our God? Hmm? Oh, but watch this. As soon as trouble comes, then suddenly we're not too busy to need a miracle. We're not too busy to need deliverance. We're not too busy to, 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 need, to, to need God to put food on the table. We're not too busy for, for needing a direction. We're not too busy for, God, you got to make a way out of no way. But when things are going good, talk to you later, Jesus. It's been real. Have your people call my people. One of the things that we see here, saints, is that humility brings close intimacy. And close intimacy with God produces clarity. He said Moses spoke to him face to face. Not in riddles. Not in dreams. Not, oh, I'm not sure if this is the Lord. I'm trying to say something to you. I don't know if we're getting this. I think this is a stronghold. Because this is where the enemy fights us. I want you so wrapped up in everything that you never, ever talk to your God. I want you so distracted by everything that you never spend time with God. Oh, go to God for your problems. But don't go to God just because you love him. Are you hearing me? Something's wrong with that, saints. Did you notice verse 6? Go back to 12 and 6. Numbers 12 and 6. Go back to 12 and 6. Did you notice verse 6 said this? Watch this. And the Lord said to them, listen to what I say. Now, if there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions and I would speak to them in dreams. Help me, Holy Spirit. You may have the gift of prophecy. You may hear things from the Lord, specifics. But if your gift is not strong enough to the point, let me rephrase that. Your gift will never outweigh your character. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You've got all these people running to these prophets to get a word from God. 
But what I see here is that you can have a gift of a prophet, but if you don't have the character of humility, your reward of intimacy is lost. Oh, I got two people that got that. The truth is if you would humble yourself, you might not need a word from a bunch of people. If you would humble yourself, you might not need to know about every situation. If you'd humble yourself, you'd already be close enough to hear God. Oh, you might not need to deal with a, get a word to deal with this and deal with all that stuff, all the stuff that we get ourselves wrapped up into. Just get somewhere, sit down somewhere, and spend some time with Jesus. <laughs> Intimacy. God, help me with this. God, help me with that. God, help me with this. The reason why you got help, you need help with all these areas, because you're not somewhere sitting down with Jesus in the first place. You might not need all that help if you just get somewhere and sit down. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Now, did you ever notice that out of all the apostles, it was John that wrote the book of Revelation? Did you catch that? Where was John spending his time? Huh? You look at the, 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 the Lord's Supper table. All those pictures that we got of the Lord's Supper. Where is John? Where, what is John doing? John is receiving revelation. Why? Because he's sitting there laying on the breast of Jesus. Are you seeing what I'm saying? It was John who received the revelation, not because he was wonderful, not because he had some amazing gift. No, but because he was humble enough and that humility produced intimacy. He was close enough to hear the secrets of wisdom of Jesus Christ himself. He was able to hear from God. Why? Because he didn't need a gift. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He didn't need to be prophet, apostle, so-and-so, and so-and-so. No, he just needed to get somewhere and sit down and hear God. All of us going around looking at everybody else's gift, getting jealous. And all you need is humility. <laughs> all you need is humility. I heard this today from a preacher, that, and Pastor Nathan in uh, Elsa Brown. I, I had to take this from him because he brought up a scripture. And it's just a passage of scripture, and it blew my mind. And it says, Luke 10, don't turn to it. Don't just trust me, it's there. You already heard it because you guys read, read your Bible. Luke 10, 17 and 20. It says, the 72 disciples returned the joyful report, saying, Lord, even the demons obey us because of your name. And Jesus told them, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Remember that scripture? Uh -huh. And look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. And we get excited about that because that's a gift. That's something that God has given to us, something he's bestowed upon us. We have the ability to, you know, cast out devils and, and all kinds of things that we get into because God has freely given us a gift. But Jesus said, don't get excited about that. He said, don't rejoice in the fact that I gave you a gift. Here's the humility part. He said, rejoice that your names are even written in the land book of life. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? I know the Holy Spirit is talking because he's basically saying we get caught up in all this external stuff and all these things that we're doing that we think are so important. And Jesus said, if I could just get you to recognize how much you need me, you would be in place, leaning on my breast, 
talking to me, spending time with me, and not sliding me into your schedule slots. And then wonder why we ain't got no revelation. John 15, John 15, 1 through 5 says this, and we know it. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. That's the gospel. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. They believe that salvation is only in him and in him alone. And if you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus and work on the cross, you will be saved. They got the message, but he wasn't done. Verse 4 says, remain in me. And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot... Be fruitful unless you remain in me. Again, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me. You're seeing it over and over again? And I and them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the message? You're saved. You know Jesus. You believe he's the son of God. And you spend no time with him? You pencil him in? How's 12.30 work for you, Jesus? Because <laughs> I got somewhere to be at one. Are you hearing what I'm saying? On the consecration, not thinking about him. I read my devotion, I'm done. I read the scriptures, I'm done. I'm going to go out here in this world and have no clue now. No fruit. God's not being glorified. Don't even know why we're here. What's the purpose for my life today? What am I supposed to do? Making all kinds of decisions by the flesh and not the spirit. Thinking about things in worldly ways. Making big time decisions, not knowing what God is saying. Facing eternity. Thinking that you got all kinds of time to get this ready. To make this up. I'll make it up to you, Jesus. You don't even know where you'll be gone. You'll be, you might be gone tomorrow. Salvation, but no fruit. That makes no sense. How do those two things happen? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Isaiah 57, 15. Almost done. Isaiah 57, 15. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. Who's talking? God. He says, I live in the high and holy place. It sounds like it's inaccessible, doesn't it? But look at the next few words. With those whose spirits are contrite and humble. He's saying, where am I existing? Where am I living? Where is my manifest presence? Where is God? With the humble. Are you seeing it? Huh? The old folks, 
in church years ago, where I, when I came up, may not have had all the theology straight. Let's face it, some of that stuff was dead wrong. Okay, we looked into Scripture and studied the Scripture, and now we're getting revelation about grace and understanding Jesus Christ in a way that was always intended. And some of the stuff that they taught us was not right. But watch this. One thing that they did have is they knew how to wait on the Lord. <laughs> they, somebody, somebody got it. They knew how to wait on They were humble enough to tarry all night until they knew that God was moving. They didn't have all the right words. And some of them didn't know how to do anything but moan. Uh, because that's all they knew how to do. They weren't fresh out of seminary and, and they didn't have all kinds of degrees. They didn't have all these people to study. And I'm not saying that we should stay in our ignorance when it comes to learning about God. But we, and we need to study. We need to show ourselves approved. You know what I'm saying? Study in a certain way that we would understand what, what I'm saying. But here's the point, saints. Don't, we don't tarry to get the Holy Spirit. But there's nothing wrong with tearing yourself right away from the cares of this world. Uh, uh, until the point that you get to the place where you understand and you sense that you're, you are present enough to be present with the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not trying to get the Holy Spirit. I already have him. But I live in a world of distractions. And sometimes I got to learn how to do what the old folks did. Get away somewhere. Get, get by yourself somewhere. And if all I got to do is... Uh, Get with the Lord. They knew how to wait. They knew. And that's why we were coming in with all our theolo uh, the uh, theological background and stuff like that and had to go to an old mother to get a prayer through. <laughs> She'd be like, yeah, that's great, honey. I'm glad you learned all that. That's beautiful. Show me that again. Let me write that down. That's great. Now, if you want to talk to God, Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is everywhere. But sometimes we are all over the place, aren't we? Ain't that right, Rick? So we need to study. But if your study leads to arrogance and a lack of humility, where you don't know how to depend on God and lean on God, where you never learn how much you actually need him, where you never learn how to wait on God, then guess what? You're not in the dwelling place, place of the Lord because he's with the humble. <laughs> he is not near the folks who are lacking humility. We got some folks that just think they know everything. Okay? Huh? And we're going to be surprised when we find out that some of these folks who were just humble, leaning on God, actually had more of an experiential knowledge with God. They knew him, knew him, knew him, knew him. Amen. Didn't dot every I, didn't cross every T. But they knew the Lord. All right. So the prayer book asked this question. How is it that God's own people have so little perseverance? 
How is it that God's own people have so little perseverance? Jesus said to the disciples, you can't pray an hour, you can't. You remember that? That was a rebuke. Now the Holy Spirit had not come, but we have the Holy Spirit, do we not? And I'm not sitting up there telling you that you need to drum up this humility that leads into this intimacy in your own strength. The Word of God has this scripture that says, Psalm 42, it says, As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. This is what we need to pray for. Lord, give me a spirit that's thirsty for you. Can we just be honest and say there are times when I just don't have that? Can, 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 come on. We'll, we'll get nowhere if we've already arrived. Okay, let's just be honest and say, Lord, I'm not always thirsty for you. And that's why I'm not humble. I don't realize how dry and patchy I really am. My whale is just scratchy. You can just scratch the bottom of it. Itchy, no lotion, no nothing, just ashy, scratchy, parched, and I'm not crying out. Come on, where's the humility? Lord, I'm dry. I need to be thirsty. I don't even have the desire. You've got to create that in me, God. I need you, Lord. And if it's not there on a consistent basis where you don't recognize it, maybe we need to talk about salvation. You ought not be able to go days and days and days and days and days and days and days. Try that on a kid with no Kool-Aid. They would just pass out. Mama, what's wrong with you? You're killing me. Where's the Kool-Aid? Think about it, saints. Something's wrong when you can just go all that time, thirsty, dry, not being filled. Or if you don't even have the desire for the thirst, something's wrong, right? Last scripture and I'm done. Same place, Second Chronicles 7, 14. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, last week we talked about repentance and turning from their wicked ways. But let's back up. If we want to hear, we want God to hear from heaven where he will forgive our sin and heal the land. Wait a minute. Did we see it? If my people would what? First, humble yourself. So before we get to seeking his face, is it possible that there's an order to this, saints? Before you get in God's face to seek him, first, humble yourself. Then cry out to God in that humility. Then the Lord promises that he will be near the contrite and humble heart. And that, saints, is where true intimacy really begins. When I recognize that my righteousness is as filthy rags, when I recognize 
that I need the Lord. When I get the right perspective and the right uh, opinion of myself, when I'm comparing myself not to your, my opinion of your janky and raggedy self, and I get to compare myself to God and I say, you know what, I'm not doing that hot either. Then that causes me to be humble. And from that place, from humility, Moses, not because he was gifted, Moses, not because he was extraordinary, not because he was just one of those chosen people. You know, you know sister so-and-so is just one of them chosen people. You know, she just, she just got it like that. No, it was because he was humble. And from a place of humility and knowing his need, he was able to cling. You remember Jacob? Jacob was a trickster. And then God allowed him to go through some things. He wasn't humble at first, was he? And then eventually he got, the trickster got tricked by Laban. <laughs> right? And Laban did him real good. He said, I'm going to get you real good, buddy. I'm in the stock market. I'm about to tear you up. <laughs> I'm a real shark. You know? He gets tricked real good. Ends up in a situation where Esau is trying to kill him. He's running for his life. Ends up there somewhere as he's running, runs in to the pre-incarnate Christ and wrestles with Jesus. But he's humble at this point. And he decides, I will not let go until you bless me. What brought him? He's clinging to God. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Is that where we are? Have we been humbled? Are we appreciating the grace of God and the work of God that's bringing us to our knees where we recognize that we need to cling? That's where real intimacy starts. Amen? Humility before intimacy. I'm done. 